There's this tape of what it sounded like when a Starbucks in Buffalo, New York, became the first shop to unionize. This was back in December. This is about 20 people, most of them really young, in jeans and flannel. And it's like they've just watched their hometown basketball team dominate at the Final Four. If they could rush the court, rip off their shirts and twirl them above their heads, they would totally do that. Ronnie Mola, who reports over at Recode, she says this release of energy, it came after weeks of mounting tension. The union organizers thought they had the votes. There weren't that many of them after all. But in the weeks beforehand, they'd been inundated by visitors from corporate headquarters. It's absolutely a stressful situation when you have the the people who pay your bills, um, you know, who are responsible for your livelihood coming in and working with you very intensely all of a sudden and being like, oh, here, there's nothing wrong. We'll fix it. We'll fix it. We'll fix it. So was there a sense of relief when they won the union vote? Oh, absolutely. You know, like they, they had a feeling they they talked to a lot of people. They knew what they wanted and it and they were right. So, yeah, there was a lot of relief. And then I think they just kind of got right back to work because all of a sudden you get all of this inbound from Starbucks across the country. Other people wanting to organize. Right. Like they wanted to organize because they heard the story at, you know, these Buffalo Starbucks and they're like, wait, that's the story that's happening in Austin, Texas or Memphis, Tennessee or, you know, Miami, Florida. Like their stories were really striking a chord with workers all over the country. year later, do these Buffalo workers have a contract? They do not. Something like 230 Starbucks now have voted to unionize. Of those 230, only three have sat down with the company to bargain. Oh my gosh. Three. Three. Today on the show, why Starbucks and plenty of other companies think they can wait the labor movement out. Will they succeed? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. You gathered up a bunch of really striking data last week about where the country is when it comes to unionization. Like, I'm just going to read some of it off. Like, you you talked about how unions won more elections in 2022 than they have in 20 years. Nearly 20 years, yeah. By the way, 2022, not over yet. Right. Unions are winning more than three quarters of their elections. Okay, that's great. Mm-hmm. And Americans approve of unions, like at these historic levels, highest levels since 1965. Right. All these data points show that there is a resurgence in unions and union support. But I feel like you've pointed out something really important, which is (laughs) getting an election is just kind of the halfway point. After that, you have to form a union, you have to bargain, you have to get a contract. And that's where it seems to be getting sticky. Right. I I wrote an article a while ago that was like, congratulations, you formed a union. But now here comes the hard part, which is bargaining for a contract. It's really hard. And even the three Starbucks locations I, I mentioned that have sat down with the company, They said that they've only had like a handful of meetings and the meetings have been so 
surface level and fake. They're not negotiating anything. The company's not saying, hey, we don't like this part. We like this part. They're sort of saying like, oh, huh, okay, interesting. Okay, uh, we're going to go talk about that. We'll see you in a few months. They're just really delaying even that. Has this happened before? Like unions have been around for a long time. Like, is this just normal for a company to kind of run out the clock here? Yeah, union busting is as old as unions. Um, this, is, this is kind of, sadly, is pretty normal. But you also have these companies, What immediately what they do when they hear that um, their workers are trying to unionize, they hire, uh, I think it's called Littler Mendelssohn. Um, it's a union busting law firm. Oh, there's like a guy you go to. Yeah, there, there, there's this law firm you go to when you want to bust your union and they all hire, they throw... They hire this law firm. They throw tons and tons of money at it. At the conference I'm at, Code Conference yesterday, uh, we had Andy Jassy, who's the CEO of Amazon. And as you know, Amazon has had its first labor union form this year. And someone stood up and was like, hey, what's your, um?" You know, at the Q&A, was like, hey, what's your union busting budget for 2023, <laughs> Amazon? What did he say? He, you know, said a very politic CEO answer that was like, you know, uh, we're absolutely we absolutely accept people who want to unionize, but there were some irregularities in this union vote, and um, you know, yada yada yada. Sorry, yeah, he, he didn't say anything. <laughs> I want to go through the tactics that companies are using one by one, and I think it's useful to use Starbucks as an example because they're really making use of the full playbook and getting called out for it. The main tactic to me is inertia. Absolutely. Just foot dragging, not meeting, and, and using using time to their advantage because they have all the time in the world because their industry is one where workers leave a lot. Can you explain that a bit? Right. It's absolutely in the union's best interest to bargain as soon as possible. It's in the company's best interest to drag their feet as long as possible um, because if they don't agree to a contract, they don't have to give the workers anything they're asking for. They don't have to, you know, ensure them safety precautions that they, you know, or or better scheduling or more money or seniority pay. And if they wait a year, I guess this problem might solve itself because they might have full turnover at whatever store they're negotiating with. I think they're absolutely banking on that. Like that is what they're, they're like, okay, we're in an industry that was considered ununionizable partly because it has such high turnover. Yeah, they're, they're absolutely banking on them leaving and the union losing momentum. You know, if the people who voted for the union who knew all the reasons why it was important for them to unionize aren't there, they're not going to fight as hard, you know, two years from now, especially when they're not getting anything from it, you know, when it's sort of like thankless. Starbucks has also taken steps to speed up this turnover. They've done that by closing stores that have voted to unionize, but also by firing employees for minor infractions. These are people they perceived as close to the union. Most notoriously, they did this with a group of baristas who later became known as the Memphis Seven. Across the country, more workers are looking to unionize. In Memphis, Starbucks employees are looking to do the same. It's a really big deal. At the Starbucks on Poplar near Highland. It was a little daunting at first. All 20 employees have agreed to unionize. I actually got this job thinking that this company was great until you get behind the lines and you see how this company actually treats people. They are the first Memphis Starbucks to try unionizing, launching their campaign Monday. The Memphis 7 store voted 
to unionize. And there was a TV crew that was like, oh, hey, you guys are unionizing, blah, blah, blah. We want to talk to you. The TV crew came into the Starbucks. Um, I guess it was like the store was closed or something like that. They came in and the, you know, the workers were there talking to them. And Starbucks was like, this is a violation of our safety and whatever. Basically saying that like these workers did something bad by letting the news crew in. Um, we're firing them all. So they fired seven uh, pro-union people. I think five of them were organizers. Um, so then the union and those workers filed unfair labor practice charges. They were saying, like, this isn't something you would have done if we weren't in the union. So the workers filed a complaint with this government organization, the National Labor Relations Board. And I looked and it looks like they have hundreds of complaints from Starbucks employees with them at this point. There are hundreds of charges. That's when the union or the workers say Starbucks did X, Y, and Z wrong. Then the NLRB goes and investigates. And it's a small organization. It's underfunded. They take a long time, right? They're just, they go in, they investigate, they talk to the people involved, they look at the facts, and then they issue a complaint. A complaint is basically when they say, you've done something wrong, Starbucks. And in the case of the Memphis 7, they said, hey, Starbucks, you did something wrong. Reinstate, I think they gave them like a week, reinstate these seven people who you fired illegally. They actually went to a federal court because a federal court can make Starbucks do something. Whereas like the NLRB kind of could suggest that Starbucks does something. The federal court said, yes, we agree. Hire these people back. So Starbucks lost the appeal and they said they were going to um, rehire those workers. Wow. But how many months did it take? (laughs) So Starbucks fired these workers in February. It is now September and... You know, it's one thing to take a ideological stance. It's another thing entirely to try to support yourself that many months um, when you don't have any income. You know, this is their livelihood. You have to remember, like, these are hourly workers and they have just not been paid for, you know, more than half a year. Starbucks has also tried to make unionizing seem less appealing, like telling workers that they couldn't get certain pay increases or benefits if they got unionized. Or Yeah, they, they just got in trouble for that, actually, from the NLRB. Yeah, is that true? Absolutely not true. Um, they're, so they're, they basically, they're being misleading. What Starbucks CEO said was like, hey, you know, everyone's unionizing now. We're going to offer the whole company a raise and better benefits, right? But we can't give it to the unionized stores or the stores that are trying to unionize. We could give it to everybody else. The idea was we're in the middle of negotiation, so we need that to play out. And so we we won't be able to offer it to those people. Was that it? Yeah, they were saying that like we now we can't just like snap our fingers and give you a raise. We have to go through the union. But like, yeah, you have to just ask the union. And then the union says, yes, we would like more money. Like they were completely misleading. They were making it sound like they couldn't give unionizing stores these benefits. And you're not supposed to say, hey, oh, well, you know, here we're going to give the people who are not in the union more money. Like, it's it's like very much not something you're supposed to do. And the NLRB actually issued a complaint about this and was like, uh, that's untrue. You're, you're trying to union. It's a way of union busting by giving benefits to people who are not in a union and saying that the union will somehow keep these benefits for you from you. Um, they just use tricky language, but they were being absolutely misleading. Are all these tactics working? <laughs> I mean, in a sense, yes, it's been, you know, I talked to a lot of experts and they said there's no like timeline on how long it should take to form a contract. But if the company wanted to for- help them write a contract, they could do it right away. Like if the company wasn't dragging its feet, 
There's no reason why they couldn't have a contract in a couple of months. Typically, it takes about a year at this rate if um, it's going to take a lot, lot longer than that. So you could say it's working in that way. Something I've wondered looking at this union slowdown at Starbucks. You mean them dragging their feet? Yeah, is whether there's a structural problem at work. And and what I mean by that, and you see it with Amazon too, is that each store or location, they're all unionizing individually, which seems to me like it will dilute worker power just by default. So the union actually chose to do that, right? When you're filing to unionize, you say we're going to do it based on this region, on this store, or on this company. You could kind of pick your unit size. And they chose to do it store by store. And when it comes to unionizing, that's actually a really good tactic because... People know each other? Exactly. You work side by side with the 10, 15, 20, 30 people at your store. You know them. It's really easy to communicate. It's not a union coming in from the outside. It's you guys talking to each other people could really sustain those pro-union conversations there. Um, so I think that's part of what's made them so successful is that they've done it store by store. I think the hope of the union was like, once we get a critical mass of stores doing so, then we could say, hey, company, let's bargain all together. Let's just do it all together as one. Now Starbucks is like, hey, hey, you guys want to do it store by store, so we're going to fight you store by store. This slow rolling might have dampened the union's momentum a little bit. In July, petitions to organize new Starbucks stores went down 80% from a March high. But Ronnie, she's convinced the fight is not over. The rate at which the unions are winning these votes is super, super high. It's something like 80, 85%. I'd have to look um, at the most recent numbers, but it's not working yet. You also have the workers at these Starbucks, they, they know the score too. They realize the company's dragging their feet. They realize that they're leaving. I talked to a bunch of people who've left, who've, you know, who I talked to one person, they're a teacher now. And they said, like, it's still important to me that Starbucks unionizes. Like, I didn't form a union there for myself. I formed it because I know this could be a better place to work. After the break whether there's anything Starbucks workers can do to push back. I think part of what I find so frustrating about this push and pull over unionization is that the companies involved that are trying to defeat union drives, they often don't say that out loud. I mean, why would they? They're they're polished. They they know better than to say we hate unions. That's like when seventy one percent of the country approves of unions, which is the highest rate since nineteen sixty five. You don't come out and say, you know, we're fighting the union. You say we would love to work with you, and that's what Starbucks says. Like we look forward to bargaining with you, and then they don't give them a date to bargain. You've pointed out that Starbucks like may not want a union, but they clearly realize they have real issues here. Like they've they've increased wages, which is probably in response to this unionization effort. And they've started this effort to overhaul their operations. They've actually got this laboratory where they build new equipment and reimagine how stores work, right? And the, the idea is like, let's make it better. The idea is let's make it better. However, you know, one year ago when, when baristas were like, hey, this machine is burning me, please, can you fix it? And they got like radio silence. You know, this actually is a way that shows that even without a contract, they're getting somewhere. Like maybe a few weeks ago, a, a store in Astoria, Queens, 
they did a five minute work stoppage, you know, and they had, they had a few grievances. They wanted to bargain was one of them, but they also wanted their air conditioner fixed. Um, you know, it was, it was like 95 degrees that day. It was really hot in New York. And I texted one of the workers. I was like, uh, so what is a five minute, what's the point of a five minute work stoppage? Like, is that working for you? Like what happened? And she was like, you know, we've been asking for like a week to get this air conditioner fixed. And there's a guy on the roof right now. We're not bargaining, but we got something. So like this is forcing the company to do something when they had ignored workers before. So if you want to take a bright side approach to it, it's like, yeah, now the companies, are, they are raising wages. They are doing stuff, even though the intent to do that is so that the stores don't successfully unionize. Hmm. To the workers you speak with, have any of these kinds of moves, the raises, the reimagining how the stores work, are they making a difference? Are people like, oh, okay. The company's good now? No. No. <laughs> Not the workers I've spoken with, and which is probably, you know, dozens at this point. I talk to people who have just joined, too. It's not like I'm only talking to the people who've been there forever. I've talked to people who've joined since the union. And, like, the problems are still there. I think they're they're smart. These are, these are young people who, like, just because they're young doesn't mean they don't get it. They realize that the company's being slick. They realize that, like, hey, there was a reason why we were unionizing. Hey, all of a sudden the company's coming in and doing this stuff. It's because they're scared. It's because they don't want us to unionize. I, I just think the workers are smarter than that. They they realize that these are tactics. Is there any remedy for the refusal to go to the bargaining table or the refusal to bargain in good faith? I imagine that's kind of hard to prove, but I just don't know if there are timelines that the government has. So there's no timelines, but the government, you can, and Starbucks Union has issued complaints on a national level that says they are failing to bargain and they're failing to bargain in good faith. So now the NLRB, it will investigate. They've investigated this on a for one store already. They did this for Seattle and said, yes, you are not bargaining in good faith. We ordered you, you to bargain. Um, now, right now, the NLRB is in the process of um, investigating this national claim that they're not bargaining, which like, I talked to a Rutgers professor and she's like, if you're not bargaining, you're not bargaining in good faith, you know, which is sort of like a common sense statement, but it's like really what's happening here. Um, so yeah, they're, they're, they're doing the long tedious thing. And, you know, ideally for the union, the NLRB will say, yes, you're correct. We are issuing a complaint. Maybe they bring it to federal court. <laughs> then federal court finds that they're, they're not bargaining in good faith and then makes them do so. Starbucks will appeal. This could take years. Yes, it is exhausting. I'm exhausted telling you about it. And I'm not even the ones on the on the ground like doing this and worrying about my livelihood. I have noticed that these unfair labor practice charges have had one concrete trickle-down impact, which is they've gotten the attention of some Starbucks shareholders who yes. have made their views known. What kind of difference is that going to make, do you think? The shareholders are saying hey, Starbucks, stop union busting. The, sh- the very own shareholders are asking the company not to do so. I've, I've, you've got to think that's important. These people have like, you know, so much money invested in the company. There's also like the consumer aspect to it. Starbucks customers like have been going into Starbucks and requesting their name as Union Strong. They could also maybe mm-hmm. bo- boycott the company. Um, Starbucks has been considered a very progressive company. They were they did offer their employees, you know, healthcare in an industry that doesn't offer healthcare long before that was a thing. They've attracted progressive workers because of this sort of 
progressive aura that they have, and they also attract progressive customers. And this could really turn off those customers. It sounds to me, I mean, I wonder, we talked at the beginning about the surging popularity of unions. Given how hard this fight is right now, are you hopeful about the labor movement's future? I mean, I'm hopeful in the sense that, like, you know, for decades, it's been trend member union membership has been trending downward. Companies have fought unions as hard as possible. Like, it's absolutely in their they consider in their best interest to fight against unions. The labor law is really weak. So when you see unions tick up again, like the number of people joining them tick up when you like this, this doesn't feel like nothing like it's considering how hard it is that this, how do I want to say this? Like, it's so hard to unionize and that it's so hard and they've managed to do so and sort of like buck this decades long trend is absolutely meaningful. I don't know if this means they end up with union contracts or, you know, like if they're ultimately successful, I do know that it's creating better working conditions. You know, you do have Starbucks changing the layout of their stores and offering more money and offering better benefits. And that wouldn't have happened if all these stores didn't unionize. Ronnie, I'm super grateful for your time. Thanks for joining me. Uh, Thanks for having me. Ronnie Mola is a senior correspondent at Recode. She covers business, technology, and the future of work. All right, that's the show. If you're a fan of what we do at What Next, the best way to support our work is to join Slate Plus. Go on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus and sign up today. Another way to support us is to listen to more What Next. You can start by listening to What Next TBD with Lizzie O'Leary. Her latest episode explores the darker side of YouTube, which has been able to avoid regulatory scrutiny. Why? What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Mary Wilson, Carmel Del Shad, and Madeline Ducharme. We're getting a ton of support right now from Anna Phillips and Jared Downing. We are led by Alicia Montgomery and Joanne Levine. I'm Mary Harris. We'll be back in this feed tomorrow. Talk to you then.